First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. My hook is being a basketball player will follow me the rest of my life. But, you know, you don't always know what you're going to do with your life. God has a plan for your life, and you have to be just uh, nibbling away at it by taking in the Word on a daily basis. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepard, and our guest is Mike Newland, who was a successful NBA basketball player, scoring over 12,000 points in a career that came to a halt once he gave his life to Christ. You'll want to join us for this conversation. First, thank you for listening and responding to First Person. We present these interviews each week in the hopes of teaching that following Christ and His leading is the most important part of life. Our website is firstpersoninterview.com, and if you have a comment or suggestion, you can reach us at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, I've never met Mike Newland, but when a friend called me and said that Mike was someone we needed to talk with on First Person, I contacted him for this phone interview. Going back many years, Mike was an established star basketball player in the NBA with the Houston Rockets and later with the Knicks and Nets. He was very skilled and very tough. But all that ended when something far more important happened to Mike, as you'll hear. His is a great story of faithfulness to God and His Word. When I was 15 years old, I decided I'd be a pro basketball player. Uh, I wanted to be a baseball player, but moved to California late for baseball. So I told my brother, I said, I think I'll be a pro basketball player. You know what he said? He said, I know. And so I started practicing six to eight hours a day, every day. In high school, playing all the other sports as well, and uh, found out a great rule. Found out that it's time, not talent. And so I put in enough time to, for for me to uh, finally get drafted, uh, going to college, and then getting drafted in the NBA by the San Diego Rockets. Uh, one week later, they moved to Houston. Hence, I became one of the first uh, Houston Rockets. Okay, but you had the physique for it as well. I was born to be an athlete. Uh, it's a funny thing about that. People say there's such thing as a natural athlete, but you just said something very cogent. Uh, you can be born with an inclination toward athletics, but athletics is an acquired skill. Natural is what you're born with. But to be an athlete, you have to acquire the skill. You could be natural in anything. You still have to acquire the skill. So it still takes time to practice. And I learned an eight-hour-a-day uh, regimen before I realized life is an eight-hour-a-day. Once you graduate from college, life is an eight-hour-a-day job. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned it before my job, and hence I won a job in the NBA when there were only 300 guys in the NBA in the world. And uh, I came from a 300-boy high school in Southern California, like a 2A school, and it was the easiest thing I ever accomplished in my life was make it to the NBA. It's the simplest thing I've ever done in my life, really? make it to the NBA. The easiest thing I've ever done. It was a logical progression of time, of enough time, and I, I logged enough time to be good enough to be drafted into the NBA and yeah. to make it. And you were very good. I mean, I looked up the records. You've got over 12,000 points you scored in the NBA. You know that. So, I, uh, It's an interesting thing, uh, and I'll move into when I was became a believer. I was at the top of the NBA one year. Uh, I was rated as the number one guard in the NBA with five other guys. I had finished the season before in the top ten in four categories. I was just emerging. I was 27 years old, and I became a Christian. 
a month before the season started. I was at the top of the world when I became a Christian. We'll talk more about all of that in just a moment, but you got to tell me about the game that you scored 52 against Larry Bird and company. Well, that's interesting. I, uh, yeah, I was playing for the New Jersey Nets, and uh, first time I played Larry Bird, and uh, first time I ever played against Larry Bird. And, of course, Larry Bird was just a great player. He's fun to watch. Uh, but I, I was fortunate enough to play my best against the best teams. And, uh, you know, it's a funny thing about that game. People have mentioned that game to me many times. I could have easily had 70 mm. in that game. It's just one of those games where, where you know, it just happened. And, everything uh, was working, huh? Well, everything works. But, you know, uh, they call it the zone. But, you know, the zone is really, the zone in sports is really a mental attitude of, fundamentals in such a way that you can rely on them on a day-to-day basis. Not really should have bad days and good days. You can really actually have a good day almost every game. It's interesting because sports, uh, even though I wasn't designed to be a team sports guy, uh, I was really designed to be a single sport guy. I mean, a a one-man sport like golf or something for my personality. But the funny thing about the NBA, and you'll like this, Wayne, is they they preach pass, but they pay shoot. Mm-hmm. So you know when you're playing, every time you pass it to your teammate, it's costing you money. <laughs> and the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers, and the Boston Celtics were the first teams in the NBA in history to actually pay players to be specialists in other areas, like a rebounder or an assist man. Other than that, everybody's competing. Who gets the most points gets paid the most. So... It's an oxymoron to be a team sport when you're being docked by moving the ball around. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, you had a fantastic career, and as I thought about it and read about you, Mike, it's not that you gave up a promising career in the NBA. You gave up an established career in the NBA, didn't you? What happened when uh, I got a coach uh, that that I became a believer, and I didn't even, you know, I was born. A, I was fortunate enough to be born a Catholic. Uh, and when I say born a Catholic, you don't become a Catholic. You are assimilated into Catholicism through your family. There's no first day of being a Catholic. There's no free will. That comes later. You have to make a decision. But I was born a Catholic, and I became an uh, inveterate Catholic by third grade. I understood all theology and, and Latin Mass and all that kind of thing. And I was fortunate enough to recognize what religion was. Well, when I became a believer, suddenly I had a, and I was really almost, I was in the top 10 in scoring in the NBA. And then I had a coach who, once he found out I became a believer, he said he didn't trust believers and he took me out of the lineup for three years. He benched me for three years, basically in the heart of my career, uh, because, because, well, he said he didn't trust believers. Hmm. So, uh, maybe that's true. Maybe I wasn't good enough, but, uh, you know, I was in the top 10. And so I got gutted at the top of my game by becoming a believer. I wasn't a guy down and out who became a believer, Wayne. Mm-hmm. I was a guy in the top of the world who became a believer. So it, you don't have to be scraping the bottom to find Christ. Uh, I'm one of those stories where I was at the top of the world. I was on top of the world, and I found Christ. He was more important than the top of the world. Well, how did you handle it at the time? Very badly, and that's a great question, Wayne, uh, because the reason I handled it badly was being a new believer, I tried to be a meticulous believer, and I wanted to be a, 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 a martyr, almost. I was going to take it, 
take it in the chin, exactly. Instead of saying, hey, coach, you seem to have a problem with me. Can I take you to lunch and just seem, you know, are we miscommunicating? I stoically just took it. And so, in a way, I failed the test by not confronting the coach and saying, coach, did I do something wrong? Are you not happy? It's just a human relationship. But what I did is I got so locked into my Christian, learning my Christianity that I didn't realize I'm still a human and that I could have found a better way to communicate with the coach rather than just take it in the chin and keep my mouth shut and like a lamb before the shearer, you know, dumb like a lamb before a shearer. I mean, so I really was unrealistic in my approach to Christianity at the beginning because I was too uh, legalistic, I guess you could say, even in my freedom of Christianity. I realized, I learned early that God tests you in the one area that makes the most difference in your life. Otherwise, it's not a test. And so to see your career being gutted right before your very eye, right there before your very, the very thing you worked for your entire life, to see it gutted right before you, and the coach almost snickering as he's doing it, it's, it's just the most incredible experience. And it took, me, uh, it took me 40 years to get over it. I mean, 40 years to, to process it out of my system, not that I was bitter or not that I had any, but 40 years to process the, the juxtaposition of what I was go, my goal was and to what I was confronted with, sort of like a person might get in a car accident and can't play again. That kind of drama I had to process took me about 40 years, I have to admit. Yeah. Did you have people around you at the time to help you process that? No. No, I never believed in that. I believe the Word of God is sufficient, and I studied the Word of God, and, and I think you, you know, I didn't go to anybody. I just relied on myself. Now, I have the first day I went to, first day I became a Christian, I actually met my wife within seven seconds of walking into that church, and uh, <laughs> wow. and she's been with me ever since, and so I have a special, a phenomenal woman in my life, and best friend, and she, you could say that she'd been a stable force. And so, yes, I would have always had her in my life. But she also understands that it's Bible doctrine, and the Bible, the, the doctrine in your soul is what you rely on, not other people's advice or another human viewpoint. It's got to be divine viewpoint uh, encouragement that you rely on, and that's what I did. Mike Newland's story is a great one, and it will continue in just a moment as you stay with us now for First Person. Here's Ed Cannon on the vision for FEBC's weekly podcast. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or hear it online at febc.org. My guest is Mike Newland. We're telling Mike's life story today. It's tremendous. And uh, I just want to go ever deeper with you, Mike, and learn how the Lord has taught you all these, what he's taught you all these years. But take me to that next phase of your life then, when, uh, when you did finally uh, leave the NBA and leave all that success. Uh, what, what were you doing? What, what did you decide to do? Um, first of all, I'm impressed at how you're able to ask questions. I listened to all your, uh, over the years, I've listened to all your interviews, and I particularly believe, you know, that uh, if your sentence ends with a period, it's usually you're talking about yourself. If your sentence ends with a question, you're learning something new about somebody. 
and you have mastered that skill. Well, thank you. I I, uh, I appreciate that. I hope I can live up to it here now in the next few well, minutes. Well, you already <laughs> do, but I do. Yeah, when I got out of the NBA, I did the Rocket Games, and I did um, Houston Rocket Games, and I did, uh, uh, like, play-by-play, not play-by-play, but color, and I did radio, and I also wrote for the Houston Post. I was an... Uh, I was a columnist for the Houston Post. Meanwhile, we started uh, the fourth largest dessert, uh, independently owned dessert company in the United States. And so uh, I've, uh, my father taught me a, two rules when I was a kid. One was Newland stand alone, meaning you always excel. And two, the law of the inverse, meaning you didn't mean not to. In other words, a person who said, you know, Dad, I didn't mean to do that, and he would always say, yeah, but you didn't mean not to. Mm. And so... I've been governed. It's the other side of the coin of wanting to do well. The other side of the coin is is uh, demanding that you don't do unwell, mm-hmm. meaning you're avoiding. So, so in transitioning to regular regular life, the idea of excelling always mattered to me. Even in college, uh, you know, ex, you know, excellence and scholastics and that kind of thing, uh, it mattered. And so, I've always been driven by excelling. Uh, and the same thing would be in excelling in understanding the Word of God or getting to know God better. I'm driven by the need to know Him better. Yeah. And that is, my biggest transition has been the dedication of my life to understanding the Word of God. I was probably born to be a theologian, hmm. and, uh, and um, that is what drives me now. Plus, I'm, I'm more impressed with the, the transience of life and the effect of, of, of a mustard seed of faith on infinity. In other words, one little decision you make here determines the quality of your life for eternity. Yes. And it makes this world, as Patton would say, sick transit gloria mundi, so the glory of the world passes away. It makes me understand from the light of eternity how insignificant this life is, other than if I'm moving the Word of God or introducing people to His Son. Mm-hmm. Because that is the only thing with eternal equity. You were still such a young man when you left the NBA. Uh, were you a serious disciple of Jesus at that point? Were you really into the Word, hungry for the Word? When, Wayne, when you retire from the NBA, no matter how good you are, I, I played 13 years, 11 active, 2 injured. I was 13 years in the NBA, so what am I, 35 when I get out of the NBA? Well, 35, you know, most people are just entering into the first part, you know, the moving to the next part of their career. Well, you're at the end of your career. And when I was playing, you made year-altering money, but not life-altering money like they make now. So a year-altering money is good for that year, but it doesn't mean anything for the next two years. So uh, I had to make the transition um, immediately at age 35, but nothing was more important to me than Bible doctrine, and so I entered the seminary as well. I'm in the seminary now, even, and I studied, I learned Greek, Hebrew, I took Latin in high school, so I've learned Greek and Hebrew and Latin, and approached the word from its original languages. Wait a minute, you spent all these years and are still going to seminary? Yes, I am. Why? And because there's a never-ending need to learn, and uh, and I've been in Bible, I've been going to, you know, taking, reg- I mean, I studied the Bible under a non-denominational study for almost 50 years, you know, on a daily basis. So what's more important than being prepared for the judgment seat of Christ? It would be like if you were going to law. You're going to be a lawyer, and you have to take the law exam, and you're preparing for that law exam. 
Well, that's what we're here on earth for. We're preparing for the judgment seat of Christ. And did we acquit the Savior, or did we get caught up in our own human devices? Did we chase the details of life, or are we acquitting the, the Savior? I was born to understand that there was a Savior, but he was a Savior, but not salvation. And, and that was a huge thing to learn, that I didn't understand that Jesus Christ alone is salvation. I knew his Savior, but the Catholic Church teaches that he exits the stage left after he dies on the cross to open the gates of heaven. Now, if you obey the Ten Commandments and the laws of the Church, you might make it to heaven if you don't die with a mortal sin. So that's double jeopardy. All your works... Your sins are condemned for again, and if you do works, that's a form of double jeopardy. It means you have to do more than Christ did in order to be saved. But I had a need. In fact, my last prayer every night is, give me more insight into the Word. Let me know just a little bit more. I have this need to understand the entire Word, and my approach, my ministry from the rest of my life is going to be through writing. I can reach more people than I can, unless I had a radio show like yours. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you have a phenomenal, I mean, it's just incredible how the people you can reach. But I want to write, and I know exactly what I'm going to do the last number of years of my life. And I want to reach as many people with the Word of God in a unique sort of way. As you know what a hook is yeah. in, in radio, and yeah. sports the same thing. My hook would be being a basketball player, or maybe I was a great businessman, or maybe I had the highest grade point in the nation, or maybe I had the, or maybe as a road scholar. You know, so you have these different hooks. My hook is being a basketball player will follow me the rest of my life, but my ability to write and my command of the language, I think I can use as a as a tool. As you know, you don't always know what you're going to do with your life at somebody's determined age. God has a plan for your life, and you have to be just uh, nibbling away at it by mm-hmm. taking in the Word on a daily basis. You're talking to people who perhaps are thinking, I wish I was as certain about what I should be doing with my life as Mike seems to be about his. Uh, Give us some advice. Nibble. Nibble at the Word of God. Now, we're, we're mandated to learn the Word of God. Now, there's a reason. There's two reasons. One... It's a problem-solving device. All the problem-solving devices are in the Word of God. You don't need opinion in this world if you have the Word of God. You don't need human devices if you have absolute device, a divine viewpoint. You need the Word of God. Every answer is in the Word of God. And if you, and like a great parent, he'll funnel you into his plan one way or the other, either by grace or by discipline, which is also a form of grace. And if you follow his plan, he makes it clear. He doesn't say, I'll make it clear by the time you're 31. He just, you keep plugging away, because, see, God has an algorithm. And uh, I tell people all the time, they say, my gosh, you've been at Bible doctrine for 50 years. You're, you're so far ahead of me. I said, no, God has his own algorithm. You might be in it one week and be farther along than I am. I may need 50 years. There is a, you might need five weeks. But God has his own algorithm to impute to you what he knows you would have done had he given you a certain amount of time. So we're all on an even basis here, and it matters today what you do, not yesterday. It only matters today. Am I in the plan of God today? Because that might mean I might be in the plan of God tomorrow. It doesn't matter what you did. Confessing your sin or confessing your weaknesses is something you leave it in the past. You don't carry it forward. So it's always exciting to know that the next minute you have, uh, and by the way, you know, we have about three, you know, if you live to be 80 years, 
you get about 3 billion heartbeats. Okay, 3 billion heartbeats in an 80-year life. Because heartbeat is 8 tenths of a second. So you can do the math. It's over that. It's 3.3 billion. But anyway, one of those heartbeats is all it takes to have faith in Christ. One of those heartbeats in a 3 billion heartbeat life is all it takes to have faith in Christ. And that one heartbeat of faith determines your eternity, which is, you know, the largest number they've ever measured is 10 to 10,100 zeros. It's called a Googleplex. And a Googleplex is 10 to the 10,100 zeros. And, and that's, the largest, that's the largest amount of time ever measured by a computer. So that's, that's uh, 10,100 zeros is the largest number measured. Your life is two zeros, at very likely three at possible after 100, two zeros. Time, man's time, according to the Bible and chronology, is only 53, 5,500 years, if you take it literally. That's four zeros. Now, one heartbeat out of those 10,100 zeros of the largest number ever determined determines your eternity forever. And when that 10,100 zeros is over, eternity is only beginning. So one heartbeat determines the quality of infinity. And there was never a time God wasn't aware of you. And there's never a time he won't continue to be aware of you. So there's never a time you didn't have a beginning. So there's never a time we've ever been alone. God has always known of us. Even if we weren't alive yet, he still knew of us in eternity past. And he'll know of us forever. So we've never been alone. And we're inclined to be with him because we're all listed in the book of life, the land book of life. Meaning we have to say no to yes, not yes to no. We're inclined to believe in God. We're inclined to believe in Christ as Savior, like a magnet to metal. It, you have to say no perfectly. All these times that you hear about the Word of God in your life to actually resist salvation. It's a miracle to resist salvation. You have to be a stud to resist salvation. So he's made it so possible for us. One little, and today's measurement, not a mustard seed of faith, is a quark. And a quark is one billionth of one billionth of a piece of sand. That's all it takes to have faith and have eternal life determined out of those zeros, endless zeros uh, of eternity. It's just hard to believe. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's hard to believe. It's staggering to, to grasp this. And that's what I want people to know. I want them to understand the odds and what he did for us and how he made it so simple for us. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life making sure I reach as many people as possible. It's been a pleasure to get to know Mike Newland on this edition of First Person. He's spending his life in service to Christ. His desire to continue in the serious study of God's Word and sharing the good news with everyone he meets is laying up treasure in heaven far exceeding his NBA records. Anytime you'd like to re-listen to a First Person interview, or if you joined us midway through today's conversation, look us up online at firstpersoninterview.com where these programs are available on demand. That's firstpersoninterview.com. And please say thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for the support to bring you these programs. FEBC delights in the stories of people whose lives are transformed by Christ, and that's happening every day through FEBC's ministry. More at febc.org. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us again for First Person. First Person.